1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Everybody say, God remembers. He said, I, I, I remember what happened. So he said, go and smite Amalek. Now I want you to notice these instructions. This is kind of odd because people lie on God all the time. They say God is not a God of judgment. But he's speaking through his prophet. And he said, I remember what the Amalekites did. He said, so go and destroy Amalek. Destroy all that they have. Spare them not. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim. 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Verse 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until, the, uh, until thou comest to shore that is over against Egypt. Verse 8, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9, but Saul and the people. Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile, and refused, that they, that they destroyed utterly. I want to preach to you tonight for a few minutes, with the help of the Lord. Kill the king. Kill the king. Let's put our Bibles down and ask the Lord to help us in this place. Master, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you're going to help somebody in this house tonight. I pray that this very night would be marked as a night of deliverance for somebody. That would be set free forevermore in their life. God, they'll never deal with that same spirit again in their life. But they'll be set free in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you in advance. For liberty in the Holy Ghost. And we stand on your word that he that the Son has set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. Somebody help me return thanks to our great God and Savior for all that he has done. Hallelujah. Thank you for standing in honor and respect to the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are in the fight of our lives. And I believe with everything that is within me that we are living in the rapture generation. I sincerely believe that. I believe that the return of Christ is imminent. And I think that it is very possible that uh, the large majority of men and women that are in this room tonight will live to see the coming of the Lord. I believe that. 
I believe that there is a large majority of men and women under the sound of my voice tonight that will be physically alive and present at the sounding of the trumpet. At least that's my hope and my prayer. But understanding that we are so close to the coming of the Lord, I realize that Luke 24 is unfolding before our eyes, which is the eschatology chapter, the end time chapter where... Uh, There are wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places. And there is certainly beyond a doubt distracting voices that will be speaking in the end time. For Jesus said that false Christs would rise and they would deceive many. He said that there would be uh, many who were deceived as a matter of fact. He goes on in that same chapter to say for a third time about deception. That if he did not hasten the time of his coming, that the very elect... Would be deceived. Now you can decide who you believe the elect is. I believe that the elect are those that have been called and chosen. Filled with his spirit. Called by his name. I believe that's his elect. And I believe tonight that I'm standing among the elect of God. But with that said. I want you to know that as the elect of God. As we approach the coming of the Lord. That there is a mark that is on you. That the enemy is going to do everything that he can in the end time. To cause you to fall and to cause you to throw in the towel and to cause you to quit. I know, I know, I know. And I'm not here to throw javelins at anybody or to throw shade on anybody for any reason. But I'm telling you, this is a crazy time to me for us to be coming together less and less and meeting less and less and praying less and less and fasting less. I believe we're living in a time where we ought to be having more church than we've ever had. And we ought to be praying more than we've ever prayed. And we ought to be fasting more than we've ever fasted. I don't believe this is a time for us to see less miracles. I believe it's a time for us to see more miracles. I believe it's time for signs to begin to confirm the word of God. I'm so hungry for a move of God. I'm so hungry for the crippled to walk. I'm so hungry for the dumb to talk. I'm hungry for the blind to see. I'm hungry for the deaf to hear. I want it. But the enemy's doing all that he can to destroy us. And he's doing it from a foundational level. You understand me? That it's coming through deception. And he's really, it, it, honestly, he doesn't have to do anything big to deceive us. It doesn't have to be a brand new revelation. You don't have to get a new revelation to be deceived. All you have to do is question the revelation you already have. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? There's some folks that believe the enemy's going to come with this new doctrine and they're go- it's going to be a doctrine of devils and the wind's going to blow and people are going to buy into it. Is that happening, Pastor? Yeah, it's happening a little bit. But I want to tell you what I've seen more than people buying in to some far out doctrine. I've watched them start laying down foundational principles that at one time they held to, but because they have not a love for truth, they start laying that down. And before long, if they're not careful, they're going to be sent a strong delusion the Lord will send that delusion and cause him to believe a lie that they might be damned you hear me when I tell you that the voices of this world are crying out loud it's a bad time for the church to get quiet and lay down and act like it doesn't exist I hear people barking like coon dogs sometimes about Oh, the darkness in this world. I hear it all the time. Oh, what do you think about 
this, this, this thing the Supreme Court doing? And what do, you, what do you think about gay marriage? And what do you think about all this trans stuff? What do you think? Oh, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I tell you what's sad is all we're doing is just joining in the voices of chaos as we complain about what they're doing. It's not time for us to get quiet about God and start complaining about what they're doing in the earth. There's always been darkness in the earth. It's time for the children of the light to stand up and be the light. It's time to stand up and make your voice be heard. We will not back down. There is such a contradictory force in the earth right now that it's hard sometimes to keep your bearings if you listen uh, for too long in the wrong places. Honest to God, it's like you can get caught up in a whirlwind and it doesn't take very long before you're not only distracted but you're depressed. Come on now. I've watched it happen. I've seen people get so caught up in what's going on in this present world that when they walk in, they're so heavy they can't lift their hands. Woo! It's hard to look under the hills from whence cometh your help when you're always looking down where the trouble is. I wish somebody in this house tonight would lift up their eyes and realize we don't live in this world's economy. We're not affected by the kings of this world. We serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so understanding where I'm coming from tonight in the context of what I want to preach to you, I feel like it's vitally important for us. And I know I've been in this vein for quite some time. But it is so vitally important for us to live our lives with discernment. Discernment is something that's lacking in the end time church in so many ways. And I don't, I don't have time to get hung up here and I don't want to stay for a long time. But I, I'm telling you that in our search, and hear me very closely, in our search for relevance to this world and to the culture of this world I fear sometimes that our discernment has more to do with being seeker sensitive than it does to be God seeking don't let that go over your head tonight it's amazing to me the extent that churches will go to to be relevant to people in the community. But it's as though in our search for relevance in the world, we become less and less relevant to heaven. I still believe that we ought to put our best foot forward and do the best that we can do and be as professional as we can be and sing the best that we can sing and look as good as we can look. But if we've traded all of that for pomp and circumstance... And we've laid down the anointing. And we've laid down a prayer closet. And we've walked away from what makes us apostolic. We are in trouble. Woo, it's tied up in here right now. <laughs> I'm telling you folks. You listen, you listen to me. I'm not just up here harping because I don't have anything better to preach to you about. The spirit of this age wants us to blend in and just worry about relevance to the world. I don't know how many more times I can say this to my friends and my peers who often reach out to me about new things they're wanting to do and new things they're wanting to try. Oh, I'm afraid, bro, we're losing our relevance to the world. If you read your Bible, you're going to find out that the church has never been relevant 
irrelevant to the world. We don't do what the world does. We don't say what the world says. We don't listen to what the world listens to. As a matter of fact, we are contrary to this present world. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Some of you may have heard me talk about this some time ago, but I had a couple of uh, young ministers in the office one day, and I wanted to show them something that I had seen. It was a, a large church in this state, and uh, they were doing a series, I can't remember, four or six weeks, something like that, a series in their church on Sunday mornings, and the series, I promised to the Lord, the series was a history of country music. Being honest, they they had they had their their church band get up and they they all dressed in in jeans and boots and cowboy hats and if I'm lying I'm dying. At the opening of their church, during the worship set, the telecaster, the guitar started ripping off. And they started singing bits of country music. I've got friends in low places. I'm, I'm telling you the honest of God's truth. And there, there are people in the crowd standing up. Woo, 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 woo. And I'm like, well, dear God, we can't even get that sometimes with, won't it be wonderful there? I want you to think about what's happening when exhilaration moves us to a state of worship. But his presence leaves us unmoved. I appreciate all three of you that agree with that tonight. Listen, we cannot afford to get addicted to a feeling. We cannot afford to get addicted to good church. We've got to get, we've got to get addicted to the presence of God and get addicted to the word of God and get addicted to the spirit. There is something that troubles me that at times I just sit in the presence of God and I weep. When I look at the state and the condition of so many folks in their spiritual life, and it, it, it's, it's so sad to me because they talk about the fact that they're not emotional people, and oh, well, I don't worship because I'm not, I'm just not emotional. But before they came to the Lord, they went to every concert they could go to. Young people that their parents say, leave them alone, they're, they're, they're just not really like that. Yeah, but they were when you let them go to prom. They didn't have any problem getting out on the floor and juking and jiving during prom night. But we're not going to let them get in the choir because then they're going to have to quit doing what they're doing at school in order to be in the choir. Hey, I'm telling you right now, I'd rather my kids be addicted to the presence of God than I would for them to be addicted to the weight room or the football field or the basketball court. I want my children to know there is an authentic presence that we must pursue. in our pursuit I'll tell you what starts happening we start replacing passion for power 
And we'll argue about things. I, I, I don't have time to go into it tonight. Those that are around me on a weekly basis, they could probably tell you what, I, what I'd say right now if I were going to say it. But there are trends that are moving into our movement. There are trends that are moving into the church that I'm not happy about. Anything that moves us further away from our calling and moves us further away from our mandate, it is not the will of God. You hear this preacher when I tell you tonight that anything that moves you further away from his presence has never been his will because his will will never contradict his word. I'm all about taking the church to the world. I thank God for it the other night. My family and I, at Christmas time, we were downtown Anderson. And when we pulled up downtown, got out of the truck, we were going to take some pictures together. Matter of fact, I think my wife shared that picture. I don't know. But uh, we pulled up downtown. And when we got downtown, I got out of the truck and I pointed to the platform, the big stage out there in, in the city square. And I told my girls, I said, girls, right here. I saw blind eyes open in front of the, this whole community. I said, I saw God do it. Saw God heal a broken leg of her grandson. God did it right here in front of everybody. I'm all about taking the church to the world. I thank God for it. If we can do it, let's do as many block parties as we can do. Let's preach in as many parks as we can preach. And I thank God for it. I want us to do it, but understand me. When we take it to the world, the world does not need us taking bits and pieces of the world back to them that's regurgitated and doing it in Jesus' name. They need something that's more powerful than anything they've ever dealt with. They need something that's more powerful than any addiction that they have. They need something that's more powerful than what's holding them bound. I ask you tonight why in the world would we change who we are and what we are to become relevant when what we already have is what the world needs more than anything. I know you're wondering right now where am I going and why am I preaching this from 1 Samuel chapter 15. Well I'm so glad you asked. Lord came through his prophet Samuel and he told Saul, he said, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. I want you to destroy everything about them. The men, the women, the children, uh, the babies that are suckling, the little bitty children. Destroy everything, their oxes, their ass, everything they've got. He said, I want you to destroy it. And so the time came for obedience. And certainly everybody wants to be involved when there's victory involved in it. You know, victory's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Victory's a beautiful thing. But we live in a generation that preaches about victory with no fight. We live in a generation that preaches victory will come. And all you have to do is just show up. All you have to do is just hang around. No, that's not what the Word said. The Word said sometimes you got to endure. You're going to go through some things. You're going to lose some things in order to win some battles. You're going to have to go through some, some fights and some struggles and deal with some issues. If you're going to be victorious, we cannot stand back and just wring our hands and say, Well, I guess victory will come. I'm telling you tonight, I thank God for every victory that we've won. But I'm not going to embellish the victories of the past. I plan on being victorious at the coming of the Lord. So Saul, he's the king. Somebody shout, he's anointed. Somebody shout, he's appointed. Woo! We love anointing. Man, that guy, 
That guy is anointed of God. How do you know? Well, because he's getting results. Isn't it funny that we'll measure the anointing of a man by the results we see with our physical eye? I'm not talking about fruit. He, he needs to be bearing fruit. But I'm going to tell you it's a trick that the enemy has played. Now, I'll be criticized for saying this, so I'm just going to say it. There's things that, that, that these mega churches have done right. Obviously, they've got to have administration, finances. Get, I, I get all that. But I want to tell you a lot of what's happened in this end, end time with, I'll call it the great swelling, because there really hadn't been a great awakening. There's been a great swelling of these thousands and thousands and thousands of people that come together. I'm going to tell you what it does. It starts making people question their effectiveness in the kingdom of God if they don't have 20,000 every weekend. I've watched guys in my lifetime that I've preached meetings with, conferences, camp meetings, been friends, cronies, ran around together, had lunch together. And they started watching these big churches and this, this emergent movement. Oh, my, 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 slobbering all over them. Say, ah, did you see what so-and-so did? Yeah, I saw what they did. I saw all that. Man, did you see? They, they, man, they were flying helicopters in there and landing people. Did you see? Oh, my God, did you see? all? Yeah, I saw it. But it'd be amazing if you could search the hearts of these guys that at one time they would have stood toe-to-toe with you and told you how they felt about truth and that you got to be baptized and you got to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. you got to repent of your sin. They'd have fought with you till their, till their throat quit working about it. Until they started questioning their effectiveness because they weren't seeing the growth that they wanted to see in the seat. And so we have traded growth in the seat for effectiveness in the prayer room. Oh, my, my. Well, you got to admit, Pastor, they're touching people, yes. But are they touching heaven? And I've got friends in low places. That at one time they loved this truth. But if you go to their websites tonight of the churches that they pastor. Read their statements of faith. They look absolutely nothing like the men that they used to be. Because they've laid down their conviction in order to grow. And here's the secret that they don't want to tell. They haven't grown. I can show you that for every successful, if you want to call it that, every successful church and pastor and preacher that leads truth for the sake of growth, if you can show me one, I'll show you ten that have closed the doors. It's because the story that the enemy presents to us in an age of compromise is that if you'll compromise, you'll grow. But what he doesn't tell you is that if you'll compromise in the pulpit, the only thing you're doing is regenerating a generation of compromisers because they're playing follow the leader. I'm telling you right now that if we'll get compromised out of our hearts and out of our leadership and out of the pulpits, it'll it'll stay out of the church. I had a pastor ask me some time ago, he said, uh, how often, and I like, I like the question, he said, how often do you preach about holiness in your church? I said, what? He said, how often do you preach holiness? 
I said, every week. Why? He said, every week. Well, like, how do you deal with it? I said, what do you mean, how do you deal with it? It's not my word, it's his word. Be holy, for I am holy. Come out from among them and be separate. Saith, pastor, no, saith the Lord. How often do you preach it? We ought to preach it every week. We ought to live it every day. Oh, I think that ought to be reserved for a classroom. You're in the great classroom tonight. We're in the presence of the Lord. And His holiness is drawing us nigh unto Him. So funny. Because compromise always shrouds itself. Listen to me now. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost. There's biblical precedent for this. That compromise always shrouds itself in false humility. (laughs) It's in your word. It's in your Bible. I'm going to preach it to you tonight. He said, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. I want you to destroy. Okay, I got you, preacher. We're going to take care of business. I'm going to go. But when he got into the heat of the battle and he realized that they were outnumbering the Amalekites and this wasn't going to be a big deal at all. This is what happens when God puts us in a place where we can do it on our own. He said, well, this is so great. I, th- I think we'll be all right. And he, his men are destroying. They, they bring out this big, big old barrel. So, uh, King Saul, did you notice all of this silver that the Amalekites are hiding? He said, ooh, that looks pretty good. I know it's not really obedience, but I think we can hold on to that, and I'll, I'll offer that to the Lord. I, t- I tell you what, let's take all this gold over here, and I'll hold on to this for the Lord. You do understand this is the chapter where we hear it quoted all the time, that it's better to obey than it is to sacrifice. He said, I'm going to take all of this, uh, all, all, all of these sheep, the good parts, and I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to keep all of this, and I'm going to offer it unto the Lord. It is compromise shrouded in false humility. It's the spirit of the age that if we'll do this, we'll do it in the name of the Lord, and we'll see growth because of it. I'm telling you right now, that same spirit rested on Judas when he betrayed our Messiah, standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when they came to him and he named his price, he said, I'll do it for 30 30 pieces of silver but the scripture tells us that after he had denied the Lord that there was a wrestling match going on in his mind when he tried to lay his head down at night and find rest and here was the wrestling match that Judas finally lost and he had to come to grips with that anything you gain in a spirit of compromise you will eventually lay back down at the feet of the very spirit that caused you to sell out The Bible said that he took it back to the Sanhedrin and he threw those 30 pieces of silver down at their feet. You always have more to lose than you do to gain in compromise. Are you preaching this, Pastor? Because we're going out into the new year and I want you to know we're going to be apostolic in 2022. We're not just going to have good church in 2022. We're going to have a sovereign move of God and we're going to be a holy people and we're going to be a righteous people. (laughs) I had a man sit in my office one night. He said to me, he was talking to me a little bit about Some doctrine, he said, 
What if I told you that I see doctrine a little different than you do? I said, that's, that's all right. You have a right to be wrong. He said, well, look, I like your preaching. I said, well, thank you. He said, I like this church. I said, me too, man. I like it. I wasn't ugly at all. He said, I just don't agree with your doctrine. I said, okay. He said, well, do you mind if I come here even though I don't agree? I said, no. Not at all. He said, you don't, you don't mind me sitting on the pew? So let me ask you a question. I said, does it bother you to hear me preach it? And he, he kind of stopped for a second. He said, no, I don't guess. I said, well, if it don't bother you to hear me preach it, then I'll just keep preaching if that's all right. I, I don't really agree with it. Well, that's okay. We're going to keep preaching it anyhow. We're going to keep preaching it. Listen, I'm telling you right now that we are going to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Well, I've met this guy, Pastor, and he is sharp. I'm t- he is sharp. He's got this new revelation. No, thank you. Oh, but he's sharp. They got, they got a nice building. No, thanks. Well, they really got it going on. Are, are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. I don't want anything to do with it because if it's not the faith that was once delivered to the saints, it was also said by the apostle that if it was a man or an angel that preached any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Somebody shout revival. We got to have revival. We got to have a move of God, but we're not going to stop being what we're supposed to be in order to have a quote unquote move of God. I believe that if you've got to compromise who you are on a doctrinal foundational level to have revival, then it's not God sent revival. Somebody shout, I'm tired. I could tell. You told on yourself. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold on to it. And they take the king, Agag, the king of the Amalekites. They bring him up bound to Saul. And all of a sudden, the games start playing around in Saul's mind. You know, he's a powerful king. This is a lot of silver. This is a lot of gold. I think I could do something with this. Yeah, but God said to destroy it. Yeah, I know, but he's got a lot of clout. He's got a lot of power. Agag may have some connections that could help us later. Do you know what we say, what we're saying to God when we walk in disobedience? Listen to me. I'm going to preach to you. I've been feeling this today. We're saying, God, I don't trust you with my future. You are powerful enough to bring me here. But I'm going to hold on to this right here that you told me to destroy just in case I don't have enough for tomorrow. Woo! Preach, Pastor! I'm trying! I'm just going to let him live. Because when we get up the road, I, I, I may need his influence. Do you believe that, Saul? 
Or do you believe that the very God that told that same prophet to anoint? Listen now. I want you to hear what I'm telling you. That prophet's voice was only good while it was anointing Saul. It wasn't good when it was given direction and wisdom to Saul. See, I'm, I'm preaching right there and some of you just went right over your head. We love to hear the voice of people when they're anointing us. We love the voice of a man that's blessing us. But what about when that same voice comes and says to us, the Lord said, get that out of your life. The Lord said, destroy that in your life. Uh, your voice has lost its effectiveness. If you're not anointing me, I don't want to hear your voice. I think you're reading into that, Pastor. I don't, I don't believe Saul really felt that. Well, let me tell you, it was a trend in Saul's life. Because he used to bring David in. The Bible said when, a, when a, a spirit that tormented him and came from the Lord that was tormenting him, he would get David to come in and play songs for him and would soothe him. But when he got angry against David, the very same voice that used to soothe him now irritated him. You hear me when I tell you there's going to come a time in your walk with God and in this church that my voice is going to be contrary to the desires of our life. And the voices that preach in this pulpit are going to be contrary to our desires. But if that voice was good enough to pray the prayer of faith over you when you were sick and over your children to give them back to the Lord, then I've got to learn to trust the voice of the man of God in my life. I'm trying to get there. I know some of you are tired right now. Oh. Well, Samuel don't really know what he's talking about because I'm not sure he realizes how relevant Agag is going to be to our future. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly ministry becomes irrelevant. When the words that drip off their tongue are contrary to our human spirit. And quickly he becomes a rep. Listen, I've watched it happen. I, I've, I've seen men of God through the years get up and preach things. And I knew things because I was in a position to know things in the leadership of this church. That I, I knew things that were going on in their lives that y'all didn't know. I had counseled with them. I would talked to them. I'd been in the office with them. Talking about their marriage falling apart. Blah, blah, blah. Preacher, get up in this pulpit, don't know anything. And start preaching about the very same spirit that we counseled about in private. And instead of saying, yes, Lord, confirm your word. They stand up and get mad and say, I'm not listening to that. You're preaching at me. I, I, I had somebody some time ago come in here. And they, they, they hadn't been around here very long. They came in, they said, I feel like every time I walk in here, you're preaching right at me. So well, you, you didn't know? I done tapped your phone. I've heard all your voicemails. It's funny. It's funny. How the word of God works sometimes. I'm going to tell you, the Word of God is unique. The Word of God is kind of like water. Because the very water that sustains you when you're thirsty and dry 
is the very water that will destroy your house if it's not sealed. A man that's in a dry desert place will say, God, just send a little bit of rain. But a man whose house is not prepared for the weather will be praying that God would stop the rain. Jesus taught it like this. He said, it's the foolish man that built his house on the sand. That when the rain comes and the wind starts blowing. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you tonight. And this is going to sound really strong. But I know you're going to love me when I'm finished. When I preach like I'm preaching tonight. I'm trying to get somebody to get your life off the sand. And get your life back on the solid foundation of the rock Christ Jesus. I'm reaching for somebody in this house tonight. Telling you to close out this year on the solid rock. Get your family off the sand. Get your family. Well, I want, I want my kids to be able to make their own decisions. They will. They will. I was a full-time student pastor for 13 years. And I've, I've, I fought them wrestling matches. Kids get in trouble. Smart off to their parents. They'll let them go to prom, but they'll... They'll ground them from going to youth service. You're not going to go be with the young people if you can't respect me. I'll tell you folks. I was just raised a little different than that. I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid, I've been to church mad. I know you don't believe this because y'all think I float six inches off the ground and talk in tongues 23 hours a day. I've been to church mad. My daddy was a, was a pastor. My granddaddy was my first pastor. They've made me mad before. I know y'all don't believe that. I came in one night to church. And uh, I told you some months ago about the night I came in. Thought I was going to play the drums not, not being in the prayer room. Oh, no, that wasn't good. But this church... Has always had a platform standard, always. We've always had a platform standard. If you're going to lead, you're going you're gonna to sing in this choir, play on this platform, there's a different standard for you. You're going you're gonna to live holy. We can't control everything that happens in the pew, but if you're going to be in leadership, it's going to be that way. And uh, I, I, I don't say it this way, but I was kind of told, like, like it or lump it, you know. I, I told somebody, it may have been my grandmother the other day, I said, you know, I believe if I pastored... And said some of the things that Papa used to say when he was a pastor. I'd probably be in jail right now. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Man, they'd call kids out by name. I've been called out in the middle of service. Hey, get up here and sit down right now. You ain't going to tell me what to do. Oh, yes, they will. Because <laughs> if you don't get up and walk now, they'll be happy to come escort you. And I'm going to tell you something else. And I'm not trying to pat my back. But I've taken heat for things I didn't even do. But because a man of God told me to do it, I respect him enough. I got up and walked up there and sat down. Well, that went over like a zipper at a Velcro convention. We need the word of God in our lives. 
And I'm going to preach it strong to you, but I need the word that I don't even agree with. I need to hear it until I get in agreement with it. I need to walk in the word till my, my spirit gets in agreement with it. Maybe we ought to take communion tonight because you may not show up tomorrow night. Pastor, what happened to all the miracle preaching last night? I'm trying to tell you about the most powerful miracle in your life tonight. Obeying the word of God. He said, I'm going I'm to use this king later. I'm going to do what I need to do and I'm just going to let him live. I'm going to let him live. But there's something you need to know, Saul. That king that you have now brought into the camp of Israel. You may build him a prison cell. You may lock him up and put him in solitary confinement. But the only thing he's been for a lifetime is a king. And the only thing that kings know how to do is build kingdoms. And every resource that you saved, I know you're saying you're going to offer it to the Lord later in false humility. But all those riches, they still belong to him because he is alive. And that king has resources that he can work with. And you may have put him in an inner prison. But he might be in a prison with an Israelite. And that king is going to begin to speak of the gods of the Amalekites into the ear of that Israelite. And it won't be long till that Israelite leans over to another prisoner and said hey let me tell you what that king told me the other day as long as you're willing to coexist with things that God told you to destroy you can guarantee one thing there will be kingdoms built in your life that that king will not be satisfied until he gets the kingdom built if you're still with me just shout amen Amen. if you let that king live The only thing he knows how to do is build a kingdom. And while you're boasting in all of your new wealth and riches, there's a king that's sitting in a cell saying, what can I do to start taking dominion when I walk out of this place? At some point, at some point, there will be someone that comes along that has the ability to set that king free. And that king is going to live. And that king is going to come back and destroy. What are you saying, Pastor? Let me break it down for you very quickly tonight. There's some things in our lives at the close of this year that if we don't get control of it, it's going to get control of us. There are those of us in this room tonight, just put your seatbelt on, I'm going to preach to you for a minute. There's some people in this room tonight that have raised their hands, clapped their hands, sang out loud and even danced in the aisles. But you go home to addictions that hold you captive in secret places that nobody else knows about. And you come and bring that offering to the Lord and you tell God you're giving him your best. But the Lord knows that when you go back to a secret place that he's speaking to the prophet, there's some things that the Lord told you to destroy in that revival that if you don't destroy it right now at the dawning of a new year that very king will be building kingdoms in your life (laughs) we wrestle not against flesh and blood Against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Understand me tonight. This fight is not going to let up. 
And it's not going to get easier to live for God the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. We're going to have to bow our shoulders up. We're going to have to square our face like a flint and declare that we are going to destroy that king or the king will destroy us. I'll share a story with you. I, I, I don't know much about this man. The story was shared. All I can tell you is the guy's name is Billy Burke. And Brother Billy, as I'll call him affectionately, I don't know him. Brother Billy, back in the fall of last year, was sick with cuss word 19. He was sleeping on his sofa because he was separated and isolated from the rest of his family, obviously. And uh, he woke up in the middle of the night. I don't know everybody's story, but I can tell you this. When I, when I was sick with that, while I was weak in my body, I was in extreme spiritual warfare. It was crazy. Some nights while I was exhausted, I'd sleep 30 minutes at a time. And I would literally wake up with demonic figures in front of me laughing at the weakness of my body. And this man was very sick and he, he got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. And he said when he got up off the sofa to head towards his bathroom... You know how it is sometimes in a stupor. You, you bump into walls that you know are there and all that. But he said he got up and as he, as he headed towards his bathroom, he said, all of a sudden I realized that I was in a room that was not my house. I was in a place that was not my house. And he said, I, I heard noise and I looked down and he said, I was about knee deep in swampy green water. He said, so I started questioning myself. Am, am I having a dream or... Or what's going on? He said, then I just felt that quickening of my spirit. He said, I knew I was in an open vision in my own home. He said, I got up to go to the bathroom. But he said, I was, I was walking in this swampy area. And he said, he took a couple steps when he noticed off of it. I believe he said his right side. He noticed that there was a prince standing there, a, a demonic presence standing there. He said, it was very, very tall. And he said, as he looked up and he saw that demonic prince he said, there was another one standing next to the tall one. Now follow me here. He said, there was another one standing next to that prince that was about half his height. He said, there was a very tall one and one that was about half of his height. And he said, all of a sudden, I became extremely fearful. And if you've, if you've ever experienced that uh, in, in any state, there's people that have been addicted uh, to drugs and alcohol that can tell you they've seen things uh, that, that, that are they're, they're not enjoyable and people that have tapped in into the spirit realm. If you've ever woke up and seen a demon standing in your house, you know it's not a real comforting feeling. And here he is in, in his home. And he's looking at two demonic princes, one great one and one small one, about half that size. And he said, fear overwhelm me. And he said, I'm in this open area and I'm looking for a place to hide. He said, I just started looking around being sneaky. He said, I wanted to find a place to hide when all of a sudden he said, I heard this voice that said, Billy, stand still. He said, be at peace and do not be afraid. They don't know that you can hear them right now. He said, so I felt a calm come over me in the Holy Ghost. And he said, as I was standing there, he said, the tall one began to speak, he said, so I, I just kind of cowered down a little bit and he said, I listened to what he was saying. He said, the larger spoke to the smaller prince and he said to him these words. He said to him, we have just received our new assignment. 
The small one replied back and said, well, what is the assignment? When the large prince demon said, we are going to take out the leaders. The smaller one asked the question, he said, do you have the names? To which the larger demonic force immediately responded and he said, the list is being created right now. And you are not to do anything until I tell you what to do. I know that I've been preaching heavy against the stuff that's going on in the world right now. And I don't plan on stopping anytime soon because I'm telling you that some of you are being bamboozled right now. In this day and time that we're living in, we're, 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 not, we're, not, fighting, uh, we're, we're not fighting a medical fight right now. We're in the greatest spiritual warfare of our generation. I believe that with all my heart. And there are demonic forces right now that are fighting. And they're trying to take out the elect. And there are names that have been given to the powers of darkness. But somebody in these last couple nights of 2021 have stood up and made a difference in what your next year is going to look like. And you started destroying some things that you were on a crash course with to destroy your life. I'm going to tell you what I saw in the Holy Ghost. I saw that list. You don't have to believe me but I saw that list and I saw some names on that list that I believe the enemy was going to try his best to destroy but in the last couple of days while the spirit's been moving I began to see names as they dis oh God as they disappeared off of hell's hit list Some of you have been overwhelmed with fear. And your name was on the list. I can't get them to question doctrine, so I'll get them to be afraid. I know I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I can't get them to listen to false doctrine, so I'll just get them to listen to lies. Your name's been on the list. I'm going to tell you what God's doing in this place tonight and why I came to preach the way I'm preaching. I'm not here tonight just because I wanted something to preach. I'm here, I believe, on assignment from the Holy Ghost to tell somebody that you have the authority tonight to destroy that king in your life. I'm hurrying to a close. You can remain standing if you want to. Verse 12 said, when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told to Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. Behold, he set him up a place. He's gone about and passed on down to Gilgal. Samuel said to Saul, so Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. Listen to that. He spared Agag, kept the silver and the gold, everything he wanted. He said, I performed what you told me to. He said, I performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said this. He said, Then why am I hearing the bleeding of the sheep? You know why, what I'm preaching on this night tonight? Somebody in the last few days, you claimed deliverance and said next year ain't going to be the same. But I came one more time to remind you, before you take the blood and the body tomorrow night, I can hear the sound of the bleeding of the sheep. This is how the story goes. He said to him, he said, I hear something crying that you said you destroyed. 
Saul said, well, they brought him from the Amalekites. And we said, we're, we're, we're going to give it to the Lord. But the rest of it, we, we utterly destroyed. Verse 16, Samuel said to Saul, he said, stay. And I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this night. He said unto him, say on. Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou made the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go utterly destroy the sinners. This is something we don't ever preach. Notice what he called the Amalekites. He said, go destroy the sinners. Read that. He said, go destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. I want you to go and destroy them. He said, wherefore you did not obey the voice of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, he said, yeah, I did obey the voice of the Lord. He said, but you brought Agag, the king of Amalek. He said, the people took the spoil, the sheep, the, 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 the oxen, the chief. He starts blaming Let's go to verse 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it's better to obey than sacrifice. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Verse 24. Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Verse 25. He said, Pardon my sin. Verse 26. Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Samuel turned about to go away. He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and he rent it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and has given it to thy neighbor. Verse 32, Samuel said, Bring ye hither to me, Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him delicately, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag into pieces. Here's the story. Samuel said, Saul, destroy that in your life. He said, But I'm going to let it live because I may need it later. Samuel said, Saul, give me, give me your sword. He made the prophet of the Lord. Listen to me. Oh, God. He made the prophet of the Lord slay the king in his life that he did not have the courage to slay himself. Some time ago, I was in this chapter. And the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, I want you to notice. I never anointed Samuel to be a king slayer. I anointed him to be a king anointer. He said, but my prophet had to walk outside of his office in frustration because what he had anointed refused to destroy that king in his life. He said, Samuel can't prophesy while he's swinging swords to destroy kings that Saul should have destroyed. I want to tell you, it frustrates an apostolic move of God when the ministry has to come into the body of Christ and continually wield swords to destroy kings in our lives that God told us to destroy a long time ago. 
But as long as that king is breathing, he's going to be building kingdoms. And the Lord said, I can't let him live. I want to tell you that 2022 is going to look different for some of us in this house. We're not going to keep fighting the same old fight. We're not going to keep fighting the same old kings. But somebody's going to get the courage in this place tonight to say, if the Lord told me to destroy it, I will kill the king. There's a price tag on you tonight. You're a blood-bought child of God. The enemy wants to destroy you. I'm reaching for somebody in this house to tell you tonight that there is bleating of sheep. There's a sound of the oxen. And there's the cry of a king in a prison cell. But tonight the Holy Ghost sent me on this second night of revival to reach out to somebody and tell you that the king has to die today. If the king doesn't die today, you're not prepared to take the blood in the body tomorrow night. You've got to destroy that king in your life tonight or you cannot take the blood in the body tomorrow. Is there anybody in here tonight that'd be willing to say, search me and know me, I pray, oh God. If there's anything in me that's hidden or known, I'm asking you tonight, God, that you would search my heart. God, that you would help me to take inventory of my life and that every king I I've let breathe in my life that you told me to destroy. God, give me the courage to draw the sword of the Spirit and to kill the king in my life. Come on, somebody, cry out to the Lord tonight.